so excited about this word this morning and, and so excited about starting this new series with you guys on, on spiritual formation. And um, I guess when you put that on the internet, maybe just spiritual form. It's not a cool name, but it's what we're talking about. Uh, spiritual formation the next couple weeks. And um, the, the last few weeks, kind of as we entered this year, we talked about um, this idea that we could lay our um, idols down, these false gods made by human hands that have no power and ability, and we could come under the power and the ability of, of the living God, that we could, we could cast off living our lives wrapped around other things that, that don't really have any importance in the grand scheme of things, that can't save us, that can't change us, that really don't have any power to do anything. And we could wrap our lives around um, God through Jesus Christ. And um, as I was talking about that, God just said, okay, we, we've heard that. But now let's go to the details of that. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like to leave those things and to step into um, to wrapping our life around God? And that, that's what spiritual formation is, um, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. It says in the Bible, when we come to know Jesus, that we are um, born again. If you've been around church a while, like born, we add an extra letter there. Uh, born again, born again. And, and the Bible talks about how we're this new man, this new creation. And, and the, the amazing thing about God is he, he doesn't want to just leave us in that spot like forever and ever and ever until we die or until the rapture happens as these spiritual babies, as these new creations that are just kind of born into the planet and don't know what to do with any of that. He, he wants us to, to mature, to, to do the hard work of spiritual formation. And, and, and basically when I say spiritual formation, what I, what I mean is developing the characteristics and, and, and the actions of this new creation, this new believer, to actually do the hard work of, of beginning to grow as a believer, spiritual formation. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And, and today we're going to do that in in First Peter chapter two, and and I think really um, for me the reason we started with this one is this to me is the starting place. This is um, if if you're going to grow in in Christ, this is the way you do this. If you're going to come up out of um, I'm a baby Christian, this is the only vessel we can come up out of that through. And this morning we're going to talk about that in First Peter chapter 2. Um, First Peter, a letter written by the disciple Peter, not just some other guy named Peter. Um, Peter, the guy who actually walked on water. That's pretty amazing. Writes a book for us. That's cool. Um, Peter, the guy who is the first one to profess Jesus as the Messiah. Amazing. Also, Peter that denied Jesus moments before he, he's going to be tried and then eventually taken and crucified. This is that Peter. You're like, why do you bring that up? Well, because before he did any of that, Jesus said some amazing things to him. He said, hey, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like sand. He has. And then Jesus goes on to say, um, but when you have returned, strengthen and build up your brothers. In other words, Jesus, your life's about to be torn apart. You're going to deny me. You're going to mess it all up. You're going to screw it up. But you're going to come back, and when you come back, I have a job for you. I'm still going to use you. And this is the proof that Jesus still uses people that mess it all up sometimes. Isn't that amazing? We have a, a book in the Bible written by a guy who denied Jesus after he came back. See, 
what that says to me is um, doesn't matter how big of a screw up I am if I'll put my life in the hands of God he can still use me and um, I think Peter's an amazing reminder of that but this is a letter written by that guy and he writes this letter to the church of the dispersion these persecuted Christians in and he lists all these cities basically modern day Turkey or Asia minor and this letter has to deal with this is amazing um, spiritual formation how do we live out this new faith that we have in Christ how do we actually live out the Christian life isn't it amazing that God didn't just leave that up to chance for us? Like, he, he showed us how we can actually follow him. He didn't just show up on the planet and he's like, hey, I'm going to die. And if you believe in me, uh, you can follow me. Good luck with that. But he actually gave us book after book after book or letter more accurately after letter after letter about what that looks like. And we all have 42 of these sitting at our house and, you know, one on our phone that we can get in any language or translation. Like we have more access to the Bible than any other time probably in the history of man and anybody can do this. We are set up to be the most successful followers of Jesus that have ever lived. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm not saying that we're the most successful followers of Jesus that have ever lived. Don't hear that. But we have the opportunity because we have access to this word. So he's writing this letter to, to the church. And, and what I mean by that is people who've already made the decision to give their life to Jesus. He talks about the gospel in this letter because we still need it. But he also talks about how we live out this Christian life. And I just want to kind of slide this in here for a moment. If you're lost or haven't given your life to Jesus or whatever title you want to put on that, if you know that you don't know Jesus, whatever I'm about to say is not really for you this morning. Now, I say that because I think sometimes we, we, we show up to church and we think if we can get more moral that we can get to heaven, and that's not true. See, the, the truth of the gospel is the gospel, didn't, um, the, the gospel didn't come to happen to make us good people. See, the reality of it is we weren't just bad people. We were dead people, spiritually separated from God. And, and, and you can't be good enough to get undead. See, we needed something else. So Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people live people. So apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter how moral we get or, or what kind of uh, altitude we get in our, in our self-righteousness or even just our righteousness, we cannot ever get to heaven based on good works, good deeds, and morality. That's why Jesus came. We were dead, and he came to make us alive. And I'm just going to throw that out there this morning because I think sometimes we get tempted in our brains to think the problem is we're bad and we need to be good and that's not true the problem was we were dead and Jesus came to make us alive but he didn't leave us at just alive so if we know Jesus everything we're about to read is not optional it is for us so when Peter writes at chapter 2 these things this is not a suggestion this is a command this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is the nuts and bolts of actually doing the Christian thing that we say we do. <clears throat> and he starts off in two and he says, so rid yourselves. And then he gives this list of things that we are supposed to rid ourselves of. But I love this phrasing. He says, rid yourselves. Get rid of these things. He doesn't say, 
pray about this and see if this is something God would have you do in your life, does he? This is to all believers. Don't, don't, he doesn't say, see if this is one of your personal convictions. He says, if you are a believer in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to do the hard work of digging down to the nastiest parts of your life and ripping these things out by the root because these are not things that, that, are, that should be in a, in a Christian life. This is not something that you, you, you kind of trim the leaves off of. This is something you got to get the roots of because these things are harmful and hazardous to you as a Christian. And he says, rid yourselves of these things. Get rid of these things. Pull these things out by the roots. So rid yourselves, and then he goes through a list of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And that's a lengthy list. Um, can we just maybe look at some of these things for a moment? Wickedness. I don't think we think of ourselves as wicked, but do we have wickedness back there? That's malice. It's a different word. Is malice the word I sent you? Okay, so my other trans, same exact Bible translation, different words, I guess. Malice is the one that it says in the Holman I have at home, and this is malice, but same word. Uh, malice is the intention to or desire to do evil or ill will. Wickedness, malice. He says that you need to rid yourself of all malice, all wickedness. And wickedness or malice is the intention or desire to do evil, to have ill will towards somebody. He said that's not something that should be common in in a Christian life. You need to pull this out by the root. There's no part of us as people who call ourselves followers of Christ that should will on other people evil things. We shouldn't have ill intent towards other people. Isn't that an amazing, like, novel idea? Because I think we all know that, but don't we all make exceptions for that? Because, see, we all have people that we, we pretend are our enemies, and then we have people that we pretend are our friends, and then there's people in the middle that we're indifferent toward. But, like, those people that have hurt us, it's really hard not to just, like, wish bad things on them, right? Or, like, when something bad happens, to be really excited about that. Like, oh, they're a jerk. They fell down the stairs and broke all their legs. That's awesome. Like, in us, we would never say that maybe out loud, but in us, we, we feel that way. And he says, this is not something that should happen in the Christian life. And I know, like, we start saying, but you don't know what they've done to me, and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, you don't, you don't know how they treated me, or you don't know how they acted towards me. But remember, like, you, you're giving that excuse to the God who says, pray for those who persecute you. That, that's, that's that God. Uh, the same God who says, um, vengeance is mine. And I know we're like, I love that verse. But really what God's saying is, let me take care of that at the end. And you just pray for that person and wish good for that person. See, because if we're going to follow Christ, we, we can't have ill intent towards other people because Christ did not have ill intent towards other people. So he says, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be a follower, this comes out by the roots. He says, all deceit. I get the right word there? Yeah, deceit is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. So I think, you know, like we're like, um, we look at this, it's, it's not maybe for us like earth shattering. We, we know that probably as, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be people that are liars, right? Like maybe, <laughs> anybody, yes. We shouldn't be people that are known as liars um, because we have a God who identifies himself as the truth. Right, like that's Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we're like, well, I follow Jesus. And you you can't follow Jesus if he's the truth and you are not given the truth, right? So he says, hey, weird idea. 
you can't be a liar. You got to get rid of that. Now, this is not just lying like I'm purposefully telling the truth, but it, but it says concealing or misrepresenting the truth. So one is, yeah, I'm just straight up lying to you. The other is, I'm just holding back the truth. It's like the half-truth thing. Guys are really good at this. Like, we'll give you enough information so that you kind of can assume the best, but maybe it wasn't the best. Like, guys are really good at that. That's it's a skill that we're born with, and uh, that's it's the same as the half-listening thing, because we can also half-listen um, and then give you enough words that you think we were paying attention, but we really weren't paying attention. Um, but, but he says, like, this is not something that should be us. The, that as a follower of Christ, it's, it's my job to, to dig down and pull this thing out by the roots. You attack that with the truth, by the way, even when it's not convenient. He says, this shouldn't be us. He goes on, he says, hypocrisy. Um, Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have a moral standard or moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Um, Let me just wrap that up because that's a lot of words. Um, Claiming to believe one thing but living in contrary to that belief. He says that shouldn't be us. Now, the problem here is if you talk to anybody who's not part of the church, what do they say about the church? I'm not going to church because they're all hypocrites, right? Like that's like, it says we got to pull that out, but that's like the thing that we're known for. That's probably an issue, right? Like that's, that probably shouldn't be that. And you're like, well, I'm not a hypocrite. And that's, that's amazing. I don't, I don't believe you because every person on the planet is a hypocrite because nobody lives 100% of the time aligned with their beliefs. That's, that's, that's not just how we do things. But I also want, want to say to you, I don't think that's what that 100% means. Because, see, what that would mean is that, that we have a standard of perfection that we somehow have to meet. And I don't believe, for me and you, that we have the ability to meet perfection. I believe there was one man who was perfect. His name was Jesus. He was the Son of God. He came and he died because we were never going to be perfect so that I could live in his righteousness, not my own, and I could make it off this place into eternity with him. That's, that's what Jesus did. So, so I don't think God's saying here to us, you have to be perfect. But I think what God's saying here is you have to stop pretending to be perfect. Like that's the rub with the church, isn't it? That we kind of walk around with our like faces like I have everything together. I'm good. I never mess up. I never sin. We, we put this pressure on ourselves that we think we have to be perfect and we know we can't be so we just pretend to be. And here's the, here's the truth. Like everybody sees through that. Everybody. Like the whole world can look at the church and be like, you're not perfect. So I think what he's saying is here, we have to resist the temptation to pretend to be perfect and be okay with the fact that we are broken people who have messed it all up. And at our best, because we should be trying, right? At our best, we're not any good. And that's why Jesus came. See, the other thing is a Pharisee equal idea, isn't it? The Pharisees walked around, I have it all together. And what's Jesus say to the Pharisees? Oh, yeah, on the outside you look nice. You're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's not what the church should be. So I think what he's saying here is pull out the temptation to pretend that you are perfect. And let's be honest about our brokenness. Rid yourself 
of this higher than thou attitude and just let people know I'm broken. That's why Jesus came. Thank the Lord that he did. So he says, rid yourself of all hypocrisy. Then he goes on envy. We have envy. There's a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Envy is the ugliest of these to me because envy is like twofold, right? Envy A is, God, what you've given me is not enough. That's why it's a quality that he says, hey, you shouldn't have this in the church. Like, because what you're saying when, when you're envying what somebody else has is, God, what you've given me is, is not enough. I'm not thankful for what you've given me. I want what you've given them. Why didn't you give it to me? You don't love me like you love them. You ever thought that way? I've seen it in me. Envy is ugly. But the other side to envy is, if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it. And as people that follow Jesus, shouldn't we champion other people that God is blessing? Because we should be for people. God is for people. We should be for people. It's not in me to, to A, resent what God has given me, but to B, resent what God has given you. He says this should not be equality in the church. And he says to us, pull it out by the root. And then he says, and all slander. Now, slander is the action or crime of making false statements spoken to damage someone else's reputation. It's, it's lying, but lying with the intent to harm is kind of slander. And he says, that shouldn't be part of the church. We're not supposed to run around and run other people down. And some of us immediately hit back, well, well I'm, I'm telling the truth about them. I'll, that's not slander, but I'll just throw this in for free. Also not what we've been called to do. See, the reality of it is we already have an enemy, right? The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood. It's not a war between me and you, but it, it's a spiritual thing. If there's an enemy trying to kill me, the Bible says he's roaming like a raving, roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. That, that's, that's going on right now, and you can't see that, and I can't see that, but he's in an all-out war for anybody he can take out of this place. And see, we have this tendency in the church to, to provide him with this opportunity for friendly fire. The enemy doesn't have to take out the church because if the church will take out the church, he's got an easy job. And if you're running around running other people down, whether it be true or a lie, then who are you working for? Right? Like he's good enough on his own. We shouldn't work for him. And he's looking at the church here, and he's making this comment to people who are believers. And he says, hey, I want you to know this is not God's plan for your life. These things are not God's calling on your life. You're not the spiritual police in here trying to run people down because they're not living how you think they should live. You, that's not you. Um, any of these things that we see in our life, they're not God's plan for our life. Like we're not supposed to be known as wicked people or deceitful people or hypocrites or people who envy or, or people who slander. This is not things that should be said about the church because here's the truth. We're the closest thing to church most people will ever encounter. When I was born 32 years ago, it's forever ago now, but... Um, 
maybe some of you guys are with me and, and can remember past that, there used to be a time where like you could invite people to church and they would come to church. I don't, that's not like a thing anymore. You can invite Christians to church and they might come to church, but like people that are lost, like they're probably not going to come in here. They might every once in a while, but that's, that's not how it works anymore. There's not that respect for God in the church there used to be. And what that means is, like, you're the only church most of your friends, family, coworkers will ever encounter. And if this is what they know about you, this is what they know about the church. And then beyond that, this is what they believe about your God. Like, we're, we're called Christians. That term actually means little Christ. Right? So if we're wicked people, what do, what do they believe about Christ? If, if we're people that are filled with slander, what, what do they believe about God? Because if the Christians are against you, then God maybe is too. And he, and he looks at the church, and remember, this is like 2,000 years ago looking at the church. And he says, these are not things that should be part of your life, but how relevant is this verse from 2,000 years ago like today? Because how much of this do we still see in, in the church? And, and here, I believe, is maybe the issue. We see things like this, and we go, hey, God, if you don't want me to be wicked, help me to not be wicked. right? God, if you don't want me to envy, then you could just give me that. But if you don't, help me to not envy, right? God, if you don't want me to talk bad about people, you just help me to keep my mouth shut. And what is Peter saying here? Um, God gave you the ability to keep your mouth shut already. God gave you the ability to, to, to not be wicked already. It's called self-control. See, here's, here's the thing. We are all still living in the shell that is the old man. And the old man is trained and thrives on these things. All right? Before you know Jesus, you're like the rest of the world. Let me explain it to you. Wicked, deceitful, hypocrites who envy and slander. That's the old man. Jesus stepped into the church and he said things like this. When you come to know me, you're born again. You're a new man. You're a new creation. And inside of the DNA for new man, new creation, new baby you is the ability to be something different than these things. And then Peter comes around behind that and he says, so how about you just live like the new man and dig out these things in your life? See, here's the reality. I don't have to pray if it's God's will for me to quit being wicked. God's already told me he doesn't want me to be wicked. I already know the will of God. It's right there. I don't need God to come in and convict me personally about my envy. He's already said not to envy. All God's plan for me is right there. And now I have to decide, am I going to do the hard work of spiritual formation to see these things and then root these things out of my life? Part A is, I have to recognize they're there. 
Uh, you know what wickedness looks like in your life, right? You just maybe don't normally care, but God cares. You know what envy looks like in your life. You just maybe don't care sometimes, but God cares. Once you recognize it, what do you have to do? You have to destroy it. Not like clip it back a little bit or prune it, but kill it. Because if not, it will take over. And this will be what the church is continuously known by because you're the church's representative when you leave this place. And what they see in you is what they see in the church, and what they see in the church is what they see in the God of the church. And that's why Peter says, this is a serious deal. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is a serious deal. So you, you look at that, and you're like, but that's hard, right? I'm not going to clip through um, all these things, but I'll just say the way to combat all these things is to do the opposite. When I feel like running somebody down, if I'll start talking good about them, then God will reform how my brain works in that area. If, if I envy something, you, you beat envy with, with thankfulness and generosity. God, I'm thankful for what you've given me. It's not that, but it's okay because it's what you know I need. And I want to bless other people. So I'm going to take from what you give me and I'm going to be generous. That, that's how you kill envy in your life. You, you just do the opposite of all these things. But, but it's hard. And here's the amazing thing. Peter knew it was hard. So he gave us the recipe for destroying these things in our life. And here it is in verse 2. He said, like newborn infants desire the unadulterated or purer spiritual milk. Like newborn infants, the way to combat all these things, the way to become the new man and to, to, to get away from the old man, the way to, to pour in and to do the hard work of spiritual formation and to weed these things in our life is this, like newborn infants to desire the pure spiritual milk. Now what is the, there's a lot of stuff in there, right? There's like newborn infants and desire and spiritual milk. So let's just break it down really quick. Spiritual milk is this, it's the word of God. Pure spiritual milk is the word of God. This is, this is the food and the fuel for the Christian life. Not like uh, my, my uh, it popped up on my phone today, but like this book right here. This is the word of God, by the way. Here's introduction. This is the word of God. Like every word in this is the word of God. And he says that we, we should desire this pure spiritual milk. And, and, and what he's saying is we should desire this Word of God. Now, desire, I think we got the definition for that, is, is a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. It's the, the, we should have a strong feeling to eat this milk, to eat this word. But then he goes on because, you know, like that would have been enough, but he wanted to qualify that so we would get a little bit more. He says, like newborn infants, we should desire this word. We should want this word so strongly that it's like we're newborn infants is what he's saying. Now, I'm not like a baby expert. I'm a, babies kind of freak me out sometimes because I feel like I'm not good at the whole baby thing. Like I don't even hold babies a lot of times. And if you hand me a baby, I have to ask questions on how to get it back to you because like I don't know. I'm just afraid I'm going to break it. And they're cute and I like them. But when they can hold their head up, I like them better because um, I just like, I don't know, it freaks me out. I'm afraid I'm going to break them. But. I've held like three babies probably my whole life, um, and I, I don't know what to do with babies, but I know a couple things about babies, um, and babies like to eat, I know that, and they use the bathroom, seems like a lot, I don't know how many times I didn't look that up, um, and, and they cry a lot, right, 
Some babies less than others, but but they cry. That's that's per, that's like my knowledge of babies. Like all together, uh, I know they're little and they they eat and they use the bathroom and they cry. Like that's what I know about babies. And aside from that, like I'm not a baby expert, but I did look up some things because I think it's important that we know if we're going to be like newborn babies and desire this pure spiritual milk, like what that means. So I didn't know this, but babies like to eat somewhere between eight and 12 times a day, like a newborn infant. Like that's seems like a lot of times, but I like to eat probably eight to 12 times a day too. Um, so whatever. Um, but the, that equals out to like every two to three hours a baby wants to eat. And, and here's the crazy thing about babies. They don't really care about sleep schedules. Um, so like it's not like two hours, two hours, two hours. I'm going to sleep for a couple hours, two hours. It's like every two hours, three hours. And it doesn't really matter if you're trying to sleep. I, I'm, I don't care to m- miss some sleep. I'm not going to miss a meal. That's kind of the attitude uh, of a baby. And, and, and he's saying that we should be like this. If we're going to ever be anything more than spiritual babies, he's saying that we have to do this. That we should, like newborn infants, desire this pure spiritual milk. That that we should want the word of God to such a degree, here's the reference, I think, that when we're not doing it, we're whining about it. Like, we're going to get fed, whether that means, like, we're, we're screaming at 3 a.m. Or, or what. Like, we're, we're going to get fed. I think that's the thing that he's saying here. And I, I know, like, some of us are like, I can't, I can't read every two to three hours, and I'm not. Like, but here's the thing. Babies don't care about, like, a sleep schedule, right? So, so sometimes maybe what he's saying is we just have to miss some sleep and read the Word of God. This is the hard work of spiritual formation. If we're ever going to be anything other than a baby Christian, this is what we have to do. Because for a baby to be healthy and to grow, it has to eat. And for us to be healthy Christians that grow, we also have to eat. Like, here's a crazy example, and you'll see why in just a second. But if you fed a baby one time a week, A, it wouldn't be alive for very long. But B, it wouldn't grow normally, would it? Because it doesn't have the fuel it needs to grow. Some of us have been in the church for 30, 40 years now, and we're wondering, like, why don't we feel any closer to God today than we did 30 or 40 years ago? And it's because we're these unnatural 30-year-old spiritual babies. And God had a process and a plan for us to grow, and it's that we would desire this pure spiritual milk, that we would, we would love and read this word that's God's plan for you if you know him and can I just throw out here that's not like the optional plan so I started thinking like what 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 are the reasons that I have heard this is not like a scientific study I didn't do a poll and polled 17,000 people or anything like that I didn't have time for that but these are, these are the reasons I've heard three most common that people don't read. And, and the first one is, I don't get anything out of it. That also would go with, I don't know how this applies to my life, or um, I don't understand, like all that kind of balled up into one thing. I don't get anything out of it is the wording that I hear most of the time. And, and like I, I think about that, and I think about like when I started reading, that was true for me. I, I thought, 
I'd read, and I'd be like, I don't know what I just read. It didn't make any sense to me. I don't know who Jehoabob is. Like, what does he have to do with my life? Like, I I don't get any of that. Um, But I remember just knowing that God wanted me to read, so I was just going to read. And then I remember, like, months down the road, like, I'd be doing something and, and this Bible verse would pop into my head and I'd be like, where did I even, like, where is that from? Like, what is, I know it's in the Bible and, a, but, and, it, and it fits this situation in my life right now and I either needed to say it to somebody or God needed to say it to me and it was just something that I had read. And I didn't even know that I had absorbed that, but I had absorbed that. And, and, and now, I'll be honest, a couple years into it, um, I understand a lot more than I did, but I still don't understand everything, and I probably never really will. That's I'm going to go to heaven, and then he can, he can you know, deposit the rest of it for me. But, but I know more now than I did then. And sometimes I just want to say, like, it's a labor of love, and you just have to believe that God's going to do something on the other side of that. And I started thinking about that. Like, what if, what if we were all farmers today, and we went out to the field, and we, we cast out seed, and we came back the next day, and we're like, oh, nothing's growing. I'm done. Nobody would eat, right? Well, maybe reading the word of God is the same way. And, and a lot of us have walked out to the field the one time and we've cast the seed and we were like, oh, I don't get anything out of it. I'm done with that. And then a lot of times I just want to say, like the farmer, there's a lot of hard work that goes in on the front side before we ever see anything produced on the back side. But if we want to eat, we have to do the hard work on the front end and just trust that God will take care of it on the other side of it. So, so I don't get anything out of it like, Let's not worry about that today, and let's just know that God's desire for us and plan for us is that we read his word, so we need to do it. God's plan for your life, Christian, is that you read his word. And if you ever want to see God do something in your life, that's the doorway to that. Reason number two is is I don't have time. And I think the three weeks previous to this, we've kind of tackled that. Um, I'd, I'd, I'll just be honest, if you have time to do anything, you have time. Your time is not the issue, the priorities are an issue. If you have time to watch TV, you have time to read the Bible. If you have time to take a shower, you have time to read the Bible. I know you're like, I don't want to stink, well, that's great, I don't want to be dead. It's a priorities issue, right? If you have time to sleep, like a newborn infant, right? Like They're not worried about the sleep schedule. If you have time to sleep, you have time to read the Bible. So, so I think really, let's just reframe that. I don't care if I read the Bible. It's a priorities thing. And, and I think maybe for some of us, we just have to like reprioritize our life and decide like, okay, the TV is less important than God's plan for my life. So I'm going to turn it off for five minutes and I'm going to read the word of God. And I'm going to trust that even though I don't understand it today, that God's going to do a work in me, and this is the way that I get closer to God, and this is the way I grow as a Christian, so it's worth it. And, and the third um, is I don't like to read. That's like the top three I've ever heard, right? Like, um, I don't get anything out of it, I don't have time, and I don't, I don't like to read. Which is great if you don't text or don't have social media. Because all that is is reading, right? Like, some of you never talk. I'm, I'm that guy. I hate talking on the phone. Sorry, I love you. I will avoid it like the plague. Um, um, but I don't care to text. But all texting is is reading. 
if you have any form of social media, that's what it is, right? Like even Instagram, you see the picture, and you're like, oh, what's that about? And then you read the caption, and a lot of times you realize those two things don't actually match up. But, but it's reading, Facebook, I don't have one, but I think it's reading still. And, and Twitter, like that's literally all it is, is reading. So maybe it's not that we don't like to read, it's that we don't like the content. Right? But at the end of the day, like, none of that actually matters if we will just hear that this is God's plan for my life. And if it's God's plan for my life, then I get to decide do I want to be in God's plan or would I rather not? And if we want to be in God's plan, This is the vessel for that. He says, church, people that know Jesus, like newborn infants, you should desire the pure spiritual milk. And I love that because nobody has to talk a baby into eating. You just have to show them where it is. Some of you have never heard before, read the Bible. Well, now you have. And you get to choose, like, okay, do I want to do that or not? And, and here's the thing, like, all limits on that are man-made. There's no point in here where God says, read five chapters a night, then you're done. Like, maybe today that's the verse of the day, because babies don't start on solid food. They start on milk. So if, like, I'm just starting, maybe I read the verse of the day and I take 10 minutes and I think about what God's saying to me in the verse of the day. Or maybe I just write it down or maybe I draw a picture or whatever your thing is. But, but you have to come around the word of God if you're ever going to grow into what God's called you to be. And, and your formula for that may be different. And, and here's the thing. When babies start eating, nobody just hands them a bottle and says, hey, go for it, Right? Maybe you need somebody that reads to come along beside you and, and, and you read it and you come up and you're like, hey, I don't know what this means. I love questions like that because it challenges me. Because I may be like, I don't know either, but I got Google, let's look it up. <laughs> and I do that a lot, some of you know. But maybe at, at the beginning, you, you have to have some help feeding yourself, but here's the thing, you got to start somewhere. And just, I can't do it. That's, that's not a good excuse if God's called us to do it. So he says, like, newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk, and here's the reason, so that you may grow. There's, like, no other way. Every other way, we're going to be baby Christians for the rest of our existence on this planet. But if we want to grow in our relationship with God, and as we want to grow in our faith, this is the way to grow. So that you may grow by it in your salvation, not for your salvation. We get saved. We are born. We're new creation. We're, we're these newborn babies. But God doesn't mean for us to be spiritual babies for the next 60 years. That's why the church is in so much trouble today. Because it's a spiritual nursery, and we come in one day a week, and it's like, load up the milk gun. And you just hope everybody gets something, because if you don't get something, you're like, I didn't get anything out of that today. Well, sorry. 
You wouldn't be so grumpy about it if you weren't hangry because you didn't eat all week. God's plan for us is to grow. And if we want to be growing in our salvation, he's talking about sanctification, the being made more like Jesus process. This is the only way to be more like Jesus. Because some of us, all we know about Jesus is he came and he died on the cross and he was buried and he came up out of the grave and he's coming back one day. How are you going to be like that? Do you know Jesus had a personality? He had a way of thinking and a way of speaking and he had beliefs. And God's saying, come line up with that. And the way to come line up with that is to know that. And the way to know that is to read this. And we do that, that's when growth happens and we quit being baby Christians with bad priorities and our lives are falling apart to people who have faith in God and who win people to Jesus. He says, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is how he wraps up that thought. What he's saying is salvation is the taste, right? Like salvation is the moment where I come and I've tasted the goodness of God, but it's not the full meal. Like that's not the full experience of God's goodness. He said that's just the beginning. Now, uh, that, that's hard to even fathom, isn't it? That was cool noise. That's hard to even fathom, isn't it? That that was the beginning of God's goodness in my life. Because see, most of us, like that's all we've experienced of God's goodness in our life. And we're like, man, that's, that's got to be the best part. That's got to be the most amazing thing. And it is amazing that God would step down into this place and die for me and, and let me have a relationship with him. That, that is an amazing thing. But it's just the beginning is what he's saying. And he says, if you want to experience more of that, if you want to see more of the goodness of God, if you want to experience more of who God is, God's given us the vessel to do that. If you want to grow closer to God, if you want to not just remember way back then that time when you said that prayer and God touched you, but you want God to touch your life every day, like there is a vessel for that. And it's God's plan for your life to invest in this vessel. I looked it up just out of curiosity. Most Christians um, don't read their Bible every day. If they did, I don't guess we would be having this conversation. 19% of Christians read their Bible every day. I'd say if we took a poll in here, I don't know that it would work out to 19%. It may be more, it may be less. But only 19% of God's people are in God's plan for their life. 18% of God's people never or rarely read the Bible. And then kind of the rest of that is scattered in between there at once a week to once a month to a couple times a year. And he's saying, hey, if you want to come and see the goodness of God, you got to develop a taste for it. And you got to invest your life in it. But when you do that, I just want you to know, God will blow you away. God will blow you away. Because see, the salvation thing, the thing that we're all really pumped about today, that was just the beginning of God showing his goodness to you. 
Most of us think the next step is heaven. No, the next step is today, picking up this thing and saying, God, what do you, what do you want for me today? What do you want for me today? God, what, what do you want to say to me today? God, will you, will you come and will you have a conversation with me today? God, will you, will you invest in my life today? God, will you talk to me today about what your plan for me is? God, will you show up today in my life? Will you come today in my life? And every single day, here's the amazing thing, God will do it. And it may start out like a farmer in the field. I'm going to scatter the seed and I'm coming back to this spot every day. And I'm digging and I'm, I'm weeding and I'm pulling things out. But I'm believing that down the road God is going to do an amazing thing. It may start out like that. But we just have to trust God. You're, you're going to come through because God, that's who you are and it's what you do. And if this is your plan for me, if this is what you have for me, I believe it's going to, it's going to work out. Spiritual formation is God's plan for our life, that we would cultivate and grow the spiritual man that God has birthed and breathed into us. And some of us today need to decide, like I'm not content just coming to church and doing the thing. I want God to use me. I want God to do something in my life. I want to see God every single day. And what we need to do today is make a commitment to God. God, I know your plan for me is to read your word, so I'm reading it. God, I'm going to do it because I want you. And that's the way. That's the vessel. Let's pray.